Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Good morning, everyone. Someone said recently that every time they make a mistake, they feel that God is ready to pounce on them. Have you ever felt like that? I think there are quite a few people that think this way. However, the Bible assures us that this isn't so. Would you turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, and it reads... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful text? This should give each one of us a lot of encouragement. For the verse clearly tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. The Bible also tells us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Remember the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If we have hurt and wronged somebody, we should say, I'm sorry to that person. Some people find this hard to do. They think it's a sign of weakness when in fact it's a sign of strength and maturity. Matthew 5 tells us, Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, You are kind and forgiving, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Colossians 3.13 reads, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then back to verse 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. What a defense lawyer. The, great, the best in the universe. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole wide world. That should give us just a world of encouragement, shouldn't it? Jesus Christ, the righteous one, became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if the Son of God, the righteous one, could be so merciful and gracious to us poor sinners, then surely we poor sinners can be gracious and merciful to each other. Back during the days of the Second World War, 
when the Japanese came down like a wolf on the fold upon the Filipino people. They discovered there in those beautiful islands a large number of foreigners who of course were their enemies. They discovered Australian missionaries, American missionaries, and lots of civilians. And they took this large group and they placed them in a prisoner of war camp. Conditions in that prisoner of war camp were atrocious. Many, many were beaten to death. But as the months gave way to years, there was a remnant that survived. And the news that came in to the Japanese was that they had lost the battle because the Americans were on their way. And in desperation, the Japanese decided upon a callous, unscrupulous plan. They decided that at a certain hour of a certain day, all of the Allied people, the Americans, and the Australians, and the British, all the people in this prisoner of war camp were to be executed. As the sun arose every morning, the sun worshippers went out and put up their flag and uh, stood before their flag and worked themselves into a frenzy. This went on for day after day. They were planning on a mass execution of these civilians. The news also, in some way, had got to the people inside the prisoner of war camp. They were told that deliverance was almost at hand. But they wondered in their hearts, will the Americans get here soon enough? Or will they get here to find just a mass of broken and bloodied bodies? This story was told to me by one of the people who survived. The very day before the Japanese had decided to strike with a tremendous blow and wipe out all of those people, the very day before, late in the afternoon, as the missionaries and the Americans and other people were walking outside their huts, the Japanese soldiers were patrolling and the guards were in the boxes with their machine guns. All of a sudden, they heard the roar of a host of planes, old DC-3s. The DC-3s came in roaring above the prisoner of war camp. And as they came, out came men, paratroopers, and came down into the very midst of the prisoner of war camp. There was a bloody battle. But the people whose lives were at stake in a moment were snatched from the jaws of death. Deliverance came from the sky at the very last moment. Today, we're going to talk about a different sort of deliverance and different sorts of paratroopers. But the Bible says that the day is going to come in the blackest hour of, of Earth's history when a death decree has gone forth that the remnant are going to be put to death. God's people are going to be put to death. And the Bible tells us that deliverance is going to come when Michael stands up. 
I want you now to take your Bible and today we are going to deal with the last chapter of Daniel which is Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. We have gone through the, this great book verse by verse and if you're interested in getting a complete series on video of the book of Daniel then please write to me John Carter a post office box 1900 Thousand Oaks California 91358 we're going to make this series and also the series on the book of Revelation available on video Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 says at that time Michael this is another name for Christ Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise there will be a time of distress or a time of trouble such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then but at that time your people everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered this is a grand truth so many times the enemy has come up against the people of God and the people of God have been destroyed but this time the Bible says at the very end when the enemy comes against the people of God the people of God are not destroyed but the enemy is destroyed to give us the context of Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 we need to go back and I want you please to take your Bible and turn to the passages if you don't mind I want you to come back to the context that we spoke about last week to Daniel 11 and verse 36 and we will read some verses here that describe the work of the Antichrist against the people of God in the very last day Daniel 11 verse 36 the king will do as he pleases this is the Antichrist he will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will say unheard of things against the God of gods he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place this verse is a comfort because it tells us that even though he is successful and does as he pleases God has set a boundary for his success and the Bible says that he can only go so far and when he passes over the boundary then God himself will intervene and lay him low notice verse 44 and 45 these verses have often been misunderstood verse 44 but reports from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many just as the Japanese had planned to do in that prisoner of war camp he will set out in rage to annihilate many he will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain yet he will come to his end and no one will help him now I want to give you thank you Stephen a little bit of solid theology and I don't apologize because I'm going to give you some solid theology I want to explain a very important principle listen carefully today among my wonderful friends in the evangelical world all eyes are on the state of Israel all eyes are on Jerusalem and whenever you turn on television you'll find a, a television preacher saying what is happening over there in Israel is of tremendous significance it is a sign of the end uh, they're talking now they're reviving the old theory of Rosh 
or Russia. There's no significance that Rosh means Russia, but it sounds like it. They're revising the old theory that Russia comes down from the north and uh, attacks Israel and the Americans come in and that is the Battle of Armageddon. It is a very plausible and wonderful theory. There's only one problem with it. It isn't true because it has been devised by clever men but the problem is it's not taught in the Bible. For some that is a matter of small importance but for others it's very very important. Now listen carefully. I want to give you some theology. Terms in the Old Testament such as Israel and Zion and the glorious Holy Land when they are used in the New Testament setting particularly in the last days refer to spiritual Israel and spiritual Zion and the spiritual holy mountain. Listen to this. Palestine, Israel, the state of Israel is no more holy than my backyard. Because when the Spirit of God left that nation when they rejected Christ, God raised up another nation. And that nation is made up of every person in the world who has faith in Christ. Let me say it again. This is important and I want to say to the people listening on television, if you can get this and understand this and you can, then a million mysteries will be made plain to you. Terms in the Old Testament which refer to literal Israel, literal Palestine, literal Zion, when they are used in the New Covenant setting, do not refer to the Israel of the flesh, but they refer to the Israel of the Spirit. Now, let me give you some texts that will not indicate this, but some texts that will prove this. Now take out your thinking caps and turn to Amos chapter 9 and verse 11 and 12, please. Amos chapter 9. Daniel, Hosea, come over a little further. Then you come to Joel and then you come to the book of Amos chapter 9. And I want you to notice a prophecy here concerning Israel. Verse 11 and Amos chapter 9 and it is verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12. And in my Bible it is under the heading Israel's Restoration. Now there are prophecies in the Old Testament that we call restoration prophecies because they refer to the restoration of the house of Israel. And many of my evangelical friends who are wonderful dispensationalists believe that these are prophecies that are being fulfilled today in the land of Palestine among the literal Jews. Please notice this text. In that day, this is verse 11, in that day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be. Now notice verse 12, very important. So that they may possess the remnant of whom? Of Edom and all the nations that bear my name declares the Lord who will do all these things. Now listen carefully. 
I want you to concentrate. I'm giving you a Bible study and it's going to bless you and clear up a million mysteries as far as the word of God is concerned. Here is a prophecy that says that in the last days, God is going to restore the fortunes of King David. He's going to raise up the tabernacle or the tent that has been broken down. He's going to rebuild it, the tabernacle. And he's going to do it for a certain purpose so that the children of Israel can inhabit the lands of their enemies, chiefly the Edomites. Now when a person reads that prophecy, if he did not understand the truth of the New Testament, he would say, this is as plain as day because it is saying that Israel is going to be restored to her own land and the tabernacle is going to be rebuilt and the things that we're seeing over there today in literal Israel is the fulfillment of that prophecy. That is what one would think if one did not understand Acts chapter 15. Because Acts chapter 15 tells you how this prophecy is to be understood. Now I want you please to turn to Acts chapter 15 and we're going to start I think around verse 12. Acts chapter 15. Now the book of Acts is the story of how God raised up the Christian church. Acts chapter 15 and would you come to verse 12 please. Now remember the book of Acts is the story of how the apostles went out to preach the everlasting gospel and to raise up not a tabernacle, a literal tabernacle, but the kingdom of God, a tabernacle, a, a, a spiritual tabernacle. Now notice verse 12, because this chapter is talking about the conversion of the Gentiles to Christ and coming into the church. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. Now what are they talking about here in this context? Please tell me. You listening ladies? What is he talking about? What is the context of this passage? Because a text without a context is a pretext. So what is the context of the passage? The conversion of the Gentiles to Christ and coming into the Christian church. That is what it is talking about. Now is there anything in the Old Testament that prophesied this? Now verse 16 and 17, uh, verse 15. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. Not the Edomites. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. Now, has everybody got the significance of this? Here is a prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about the restoration of literal Israel and the fact that they're going to go forth and they're going to have a great conquest of the Gentiles. They're going to take over the heathen. And so if a person does not understand the New Testament, he says, this points to literal Israel over there in the land of Palestine. But when you turn to the book of Acts, the Bible says that the apostles go forth and they preach the everlasting gospel and Gentiles hear the word of God and the Gentiles come into the church. And he says, there is a text that proves this. And he turns 
to Amos where it talks about rebuilding the tabernacle and the Edomites joining into the house of Israel. Therefore, I ask you, what is the tabernacle that God is building today? Is it a tabernacle in the city of Jerusalem? Who are the Edomites that are being captured by the children of Israel? Who are they? Who are they? Who are these Edomites? Are they the Palestinians? Are they the Jordanians? Who are the, the, these people, these tribes that are coming to join the house of Israel? Who are they? Yes, the people who accept Christ. The people who accept Christ. So the Bible, when it says in Daniel 11 that the Antichrist comes against the glorious holy mountain, it is not talking about literal Jerusalem. It is talking about spiritual Jerusalem or the church of God. And if you want to understand God's plan and purpose in these last days, do not read the Bible with your eye on the literal Jew or your eye on literal Jerusalem. Read it with your eye on Christ and the people of God. Because all the prophecies in the, in the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, center around the people of God. This is tremendously important if you and I will understand these great truths. Now, let me give you some other texts that will establish this even uh, clearer in your minds. Come over to Romans chapter 9 and verse 8, dear people. Romans chapter 9. And verse 8, where Paul is talking about the preaching of the gospel. Romans 9 and verse 8. Romans 9, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Who are the children of God? Are the natural children the children of God? Please answer me. Please answer me. Would you please answer the question? Would you notice Romans chapter 9 and verse 8 again? In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children. Answer the question. Are the natural children the children of God? Who are the children of God? Now, what does the text say? Please tell me what the text says. It says, it is the children of the promise who are counted as the seed. And so, my friend, the children of God are not the natural children. The children of God are the supernatural children who've been born again by the Holy Spirit. Now, please come over now to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 and 29. This is not just important. This is very, very important that you understand this. Galatians chapter 3 and verse... Uh, 28 and 29. Galatians 3, verse 28, 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to what? Heirs according to what? To the promise. What promise? What promise? What promise? The promise that God gave to Abraham. That's the promise. The promise that God gave to Abraham. God said you're going to have a big family. Amen. And when you're a child of God, when you accept Christ, the Bible says it's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. God has got a family of every people in every nation. 
That is why nationalism is wrong. You know what I'm saying? There are nations today who say, uh, we are the chosen nation. We are God's people to the world. Uh, we are a Christian nation. That is not true. There is no nation in the world today which is God's chosen nation. God has got his people in every different nation. He's got his people among the Jews. He's got his people among Palestinians. He's got his people among uh, Russians and Ukrainians and, and Spanish people and black people and white people. That is why a Christian, whether he is black or white or brown or somewhere in between, if he is a true Christian, he will never look at his brother through the eyes of color. Now, I'm saying this to every person. A black man will not look at a white man through the eyes of color. If he does, it's because he doesn't know the truth of the gospel. A white man will not look at a black man through the eyes of color. Or a Filipino, because those things do not matter. And the reason the world and Los Angeles is in such a terrible condition, it is because it is outside the gospel of Christ. That's the, that's the reason. But when you get into Christ, it doesn't matter who you are. And we here in America today, and it's true that there's a tremendous polarization developing between blacks and whites and other nations. That is because the people who are involved in that polarization are not a part of the kingdom of God. But when you're a part, can you say amen to that? Yeah. Mm. But when you're a part of the kingdom of God, every person whether he is male or female or black or white or brown or yellow, if he is in Christ, he is your brother because he is a child of God. And so when the Bible talks about the glorious holy mountain, my friend, it is not talking about literal Jerusalem. It's talking about the church. And you know, Jesus said to the Jews on one occasion, he said, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you. Did you know that? Jesus said those words. He said it to the Jew of the flesh. He said, the kingdom of God is taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. God has got a new kingdom. God has got a new Israel. God has got a new Jerusalem. And that's made up of all the people who are in Christ. Now the Bible says, the Antichrist comes against the glorious holy mountain. The Bible says this, now listen to this, because this is pretty strong stuff. The Bible says that the greatest test for the people of God is still to come. The Bible says that just before Jesus comes, all the powers of darkness through a great system of church and state, all those powers are going to be flung against the church of the living God. But the Bible says when that happens, God is going to say enough is enough is enough. Now let me say a few words about the great tribulation. It is believed by many wonderful Christians in the evangelical churches whom I love and appreciate and respect that there is a secret rapture and the church is raptured home to glory before the time of trouble comes. Very comforting doctrine, a very wonderful doctrine, the doctrine of the secret rapture 
that the saints of God are raptured home to glory before the Antichrist makes his war. Once again, while it is an illustrious, marvelous doctrine, there's only one problem with it. It's not taught in the Bible. Oh, people say, but Dr. So-and-so teaches it. I don't care what he teaches. It's what does the Bible teach? People say, most of the preachers are teaching it. So what? Sunday keeping is not taught in the Bible. Most of the churches believe it. The doctrine of the secret rapture is in the same category as infant baptism, Sunday sacredness. It is not taught in the word of God. Let me give you a very quick text on this one, please. Come to Matthew 24. Dear hearts and gentle people, Matthew 24. And uh, let me see now. Mm -hmm. Matthew 24, there's so much in here. Verse 15, uh, start of verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the gospel is going to be preached, but notice what happens. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, my friend, this is the king of the north against Jerusalem. This is the Antichrist when he comes up against the glorious holy mountain. And what brings him up against the glorious holy mountain is the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Now notice what happens after this takes place. Verse 21, for then there'll be great distress unequal from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. That's a quote from Daniel 12. And verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. And verse 29, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. I can't understand how anybody could read that passage and believe seriously that the great tribulation happens after the second coming. The Bible says it as plain as anything, the Antichrist comes against the church of God. The Bible says there's a time of distress. And then the Bible says, after that, the sign of the Son of Man appears in the heavens. Listen, church, if you are a part of the church, you will go through the great tribulation with Christ. With Christ. Thank God, with Christ. Now people say, when we talk about the church, <clears throat> they say, uh, tell me, what is the church? It's very important that we be intellectually, morally, and spiritually honest when we talk about the church. This building is not the church. The church is a term that is used in Holy Scripture to refer to those who are called out. It means those who are called out of apostasy and those who are called out of the world. The church never refers to an institution, never to a building. Did you know that? I fear for some of my friends when they say, if the church tells me to do something, I'll do it. And by this, they mean an institutionalized form of Christianity. 
The church is made up of all those people who trust in Christ for salvation and whose lives have been changed by the grace of God. Amen. They are the church. In the days of the apostles, did you know this? The church had no church buildings, none at all, no hospitals, no conferences, none of those things, those appendages. We don't criticize those organizations, but they are not the church. The church is made up of the people of God. Amen. Now people say, and some of my dear Adventist friends quote Ellen White, with regard to saying, the church can never fail. The church must go through. And by this, they mean the institutionalized church. That idea that they hold is an old Roman Catholic heresy. The Bible and the writings of Alan White never indicate that the church as an institution goes through to the kingdom of God. I will tell you what can never fail. A child of God on his knees trusting in Christ. Amen. The church of the living God made up of humble, believing people, ministers, administrators, church lay people who trust in Christ and not in themselves. They are the church. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, the Antichrist is going to come like a ravenous wolf against the church. Now please come over now to Daniel chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 2 and onwards. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. What is this talking about? When Jesus comes back, comes back in glory, the Bible says there is going to be a tremendous resurrection. The people of God are going to be raised from their graves. And the Bible says some to, yes, everlasting life, but some to shame. Who are these? Because if you read Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says that there are two resurrections and they're, they're a thousand years apart. The vast majority of the righteous, well, the righteous are raised at the, at the second coming. But over when Jesus comes back after the thousand years, the wicked are raised. Then who are these people who are raised when Jesus comes to everlasting shame and contempt? Who are these people? Yes, but which part of the wicked? Because Revelation 20 says that the wicked are not raised until after the millennium. Well, the... Well, no, the people whose names are not found written in the book of life are raised after the thousand years. But the Bible says here that some are going to be raised when Jesus comes back, when he comes the second time. The people who crucified Jesus. When Jesus was standing before the high priest, he said, yes, I am the son of God. I'm the Messiah. And the day is going to come when you're going to see me coming in the clouds of heaven. The Bible says in Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, that the people who actually stood there and condemned him to death and who crucified him are going to be raised and they're going to see him coming in the clouds of glory. They're going to be there and they're going to see him when he comes back and the righteous dead are going to be raised at the same time. Now verse 3 says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. 
and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Bible says in this text that those people who lead other people to Christ are going to shine and shine like the stars and it will never, never end. They will shine on throughout all eternity. Keep on reading. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And when it says to increase knowledge, it is referring primarily to the knowledge of the book of Daniel. And that is why you and I ought to have a greater knowledge of the book of Daniel than did Uriah Smith who lived in the last century. The closer we come to the coming of Jesus, the more knowledge we should have of these great prophecies because the Bible says that knowledge of the prophecies will be increased as we come down to the last days. Now verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the other bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It'll be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people have been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Now what is this talking about? Uh, here we have our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible pictures Jesus standing above the waters. Why does it picture Jesus standing above the waters? Because the waters in the scriptures are a symbol of strife and trouble. The Bible spoke about the river Euphrates that would flood over the land. But the Bible says, standing above the waters is Jesus Christ. And he's standing above the waters and he's saying to his people, whatever happens, I am in charge of these waters. And whatever happens, I will be with you. And I am in charge of all of these troubles. Nothing will happen to the church that I will not go through with the church. I will be with the church in a time of trouble. So he stands above the waters. But the question is last asked, how long is it going to be? It says until a time, times, and half a time. After that time period, all these things are going to be accomplished. No question, this refers to the 1260 years of the Dark Ages that finished in 1798. The Bible says that these great events, the coming of Christ, the judgment, the setting up of the kingdom, takes place in days after that. But some have suggested, and I would not be dogmatic, but some have suggested that this may even point to a time of persecution that will be fulfilled in literal days. 1260 literal days. And right at the very end of time, that which happened in the dark ages will be repeated on a worldwide scale for a literal 1260 days. Who knows? It could be so. I think it is quite likely. And after this awful time of trouble, when the Antichrist comes against the church, all these things will finally be accomplished. I believe it has been fulfilled, but I believe it is likely it will be fulfilled again. Please 
Read on. Verse 8, I heard but did not understand, so I asked my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there'll be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Now, let me be very open and honest with you. The last word in commentaries has not been written about those time periods. It talks about the taking away of the daily. This is a reference to the setting up of the great system of church and state in the dark ages. The placing the abomination of desolation that we spoke about last week. That iniquitous system of man made worship that set up an earthly priest instead of Christ. Took away the cross and the law of God. Some commentators point out that this setting up of this abominable system of worship took place in 508, some say 538, and reaches down to 1798. But other commentators say, we must yet wait and see what this means. Could this point I think this myself. Could this point to a tremendous movement in the last days where what happened in the dark ages is repeated, where the true gospel is attacked, laid aside, an abomination of desolation is lifted up, talks about 1,335 days, 45 days, even more than the 1,290 days. Some commentators have said, does this point to a further testing of the people of God? When it appears that the Antichrist has been given his death blow, but he lingers on for another 45 days? The time that cometh will declare it. One thing is plain. While we cannot be dogmatic about some of these events that are so precise and that are still future, there are some things we can be certainly assured of. This chapter points to a tremendous struggle between truth and righteousness in the last days, a great warfare against the church of God, which will only be brought to an end by the standing up of Michael and the coming of Jesus in the clouds of glory. Amen. Now, I want to read you a statement from Wordsworth. Now, some of these verses here, I must confess, are some of the most difficult verses uh, in Bible prophecy. Listen to this. Wordsworth says, he's a renowned commentator, some form of infidelity and impiety will be established by law, even in the Christian church. As our Lord himself foretold in Matthew 24, 15. 
as a heathen altar was set up by Antiochus Epiphanes in the temple in Jerusalem. So will it be in the last times. The church itself will be, be I'm sorry, the church itself will be betrayed by some in high places in her ministry. And by means of their timid and treacherous concessions and compromises, it'll be polluted by a form of worship which will make it execrable in the sight of God and will cause all good men to weep and hide their faces in shame and sorrow. This commentator says, into the Christian church at the very end of time will come because of treachery by men in high places, a form of worship which will be like the abomination that was set up in the Jewish temple in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. We would say which was like that was set up in the dark ages by the Antichrist. This, listen carefully, this system of iniquity joining to the state in the world will become the greatest power the world has ever seen. It'll be the first world religion. No nation will be left out of this. Every nation will come under the umbrella of this great church system. This church system will enforce the mark of the beast. This church system, which will be based on intolerance, will persecute the people of God. This persecution, which is universal, will take place before the coming of Christ. The Bible says that the hordes of the Antichrist will sweep over the world like a mighty river. And then the Bible says, when it appears as though the remnant people of God are going to go down and be destroyed. The Bible says he comes to his end. None helps him. And Michael stands up. Jesus comes. The resurrection takes place. And every person whose name is found written in the book is delivered and saved for all eternity. That is the grand theme of the closing verses of this book. Notice the last verse. And here the Lord turns to this man. And verse 13, 13, he says, As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. That means you're going to die. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. When you read through the Old Testament, there aren't many references to the resurrection. Uh, there's one in the book of Ezekiel where it talks about people coming out of their graves. But Daniel 12 is the clearest reference to the resurrection. A resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the damned. And God's last word to this man is this. You're going to rest. You're going to go to sleep. Didn't say you're going to go to heaven. He said you're going to sleep. You're going to rest. And then he said, at the very end of time, you're going to arise for your allotted inheritance. 
I want you to think about this as you sit here today. I want you to think about the last events in the history of this world. The Bible talks about a time of trouble. Revelation talks about the seven last plagues. Talks about the earth being completely devastated. It talks about cities like Los Angeles laid to the ground, destroyed by hailstones that weigh 120 pounds. It talks about awful plagues that sweep over the earth. It talks about the sea becoming like the blood of a dead man. It talks about men filled with unholy passions who become demonized, who riot, who destroy, who kill. And then they discover there are a group of people who are not part of their world. They are people who serve a different God and they keep a different day and they keep the commandments of God and they're not racists or any of those things. While a part of society, they are not a part of society. They serve a different God and a decree is made, wipe them off the face of the earth. People say it could never happen in our day and age. Why, it happened in Germany with the Jews, didn't it? it? Happened in Bosnia just a few months ago. Happened in Rwanda just a few months ago with a million killed there. And so a decree goes forth, destroy them. And the king of the north, the Antichrist, comes up against the glorious holy mountain. And there's the time of trouble such as never was. And then when it appears as though the people of God are going to soil the earth with their blood as happened in the dark ages, when it appears as though there is no help and there is no hope, all of a sudden there is seen in the eastern sky a cloud, a little black cloud, no bigger than a man's hand. Mm-hmm. And as the church, made up of all those, of every different nation, kindred, tongue, and people, as the church looks at the little black cloud, the little black cloud starts to get bigger and bigger, and soon it is glowing with glory. Mm -hmm. The Bible says every eye is going to see him because he's not going to come in two minutes. Probably going to take days. And as the earth turns around, as people get up, it's going to be a little bigger. And soon the skies from north to south, east to west, are filled with the angels of God. And right in the very midst of this celestial cloud of glory sits one like the Son of Man. Mm. His name is King Jesus, Michael. Mm -hmm. As he comes down the heavens, as he gets closer, he gives a shout, Awake, awake, ye who sleep in the dust of the earth, awake! And out in forest lawn people get up. Mm -hmm. A great getting up morning in forest lawn.
and in Russia where I buried Anna with all those communists. Anna is going to get up holding a little baby. The great getting up glory morning. And as he comes, his glory which raises the dead, righteous, slays the wicked. And men who had weapons in their hands to kill the saints suddenly discover that God is alive and they fall to the ground as corpses. It's going to happen. And as the righteous come out of their tombs, a great host, there are going to be some other people who get up, who wish that they had not been brought up. Pilate is going to be there, the man who washed his hands of the Lord. Pilate's going to be there. Caiaphas, the high priest, who rent his robe, that humbug, that Pharisee, that hypocrite, he's going to be there and he's going to look up into the face of the Son of God and say, that's the man I put on the cross. The Roman soldiers who drove in the nails are going to be raised to see him coming in glory. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you folks something. The Bible says that Daniel is going to be there. Adam's going to be there. Adam, some think he was about 10 feet tall. It's going to make us look pretty bad. Adam's going to be there. Daniel's going to be there. Ezekiel's going to be there. Isaiah is going to be there. St. Paul is going to be there. Peter, who denied his Lord, is going to be there. Peter's going to be there. Timothy is going to be there. John, the beloved disciple, is going to be there. They're going to come forth out of their tombs and they're going to rise for their allotted inheritance. They're going to be there. I'll camouflage this, but some years ago, I baptized a man with AIDS. He's going to be there. The man with AIDS is going to be there, but some of the people who look down their noses at him are going to not be there. They're going to be in hell. But the man with AIDS is going to be there because he confessed Christ and confessed his sins and turned from his way of living. He's going to be there. The dying thief is going to be there. He's going to be there. The dying thief who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's not there now, but he's going to be there. And when Daniel gets up, the dying thief is going to get up too. So the book of Daniel is a book of hard times. It's a book of struggle. It's a book of persecution. It's a wake-up call to Christians. It's a book of solemnity, but it's a book of deliverance. The last word of this book, after it talks about the battles and the fights with the Antichrist, the last word is Jesus, Michael coming, and God's people getting up out of their graves and going home to glory. Amen. Are you going to be there? can be there. 
Would you like to know how to get there? Do what the dying thief did. Call on Christ. Do what the man with AIDS did. Call on Christ. People say, but I've got my name on a big church roll here. Well, maybe the devil has too. This doesn't help a lot, you know, folks. Getting somebody to write your name on a church roll, I know that really disturbs some people to think it's not that important. The role that really counts is the role up in glory. Amen. And when it says, they shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book, it doesn't say every person whose name is written on the church roll down in such and such a street in Los Angeles. The role to get your name on is the role in glory. Amen. If you want your name there today, then think very carefully about what I've said today. Don't think this is just a story. Don't think it's just something to entertain you. My job is to get you to heaven. Ask God today to write your name in his book.